0: Changing the story around pain. This is the Modern Pain Podcast, helping to improve the understanding and treatment of pain across the world through education, advice from experts in the field, personal stories from those living well with pain, and more. A modern approach to pain treatment, management, and education, while helping to bring the patient voice back to healthcare. This is the Modern Pain Podcast. Here's your host, Dr. Mark Cardula. What is going on, everybody? This is Mark Cargill, lead
1: CEO, or lead faculty and CEO here at Modern Pain Care, where we make you the complete clinician. Wanted to welcome you all here this morning for our weekly pain points. I think that's what we've called it these days. Um, Jared and I have been trying to come on weekly and uh, just share some of our perspectives. It's a podcast too for you guys that uh, check out podcasts. Check out uh, it's on Apple, Google Play, and Spotify if you guys want to check it out. Uh, every Thursday or Friday they get put up. So. Thank you again for joining us, and thank you, Jared Hall, for joining us. How are you today?
2: I am uh, doing well, like I, was, uh, like I was telling you before we jumped on. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm dragging this morning because we stayed up too late doing virtual trivia with the friends. You know, which, uh, for those of you out there, when, um, you know, all the coronavirus stuff happened and the world shut down, Uh, my wife and I, and like our group of friends started doing virtual trivia once a week where we all jump on a zoom call and one couple creates a trivia round, like a highly specific trivia round. And we usually spend Thursday night going through virtual trivia for a couple of hours. Uh, It's a good time. And we've just kept up the tradition for like the last 20 weeks and we we haven't broken stride. Uh, and last night, my wife's going to be out of town this week, uh, tonight on thursday so we had to push it to wednesday so i stayed up too late and you know i'm dragging
1: yeah no it sounded uh these guys take trivia next level over there with you and your group so that's uh i you know i'm kind of jealous that uh, our friends haven't got so creative as your group but uh yeah trivia is something that uh, is fun and then definitely time flies and next thing you know it's the wee hours and you got to roll up out of bed early and Thanks for joining us, despite such an arduous evening that you had to endure last night. Sounds like it was fun, though.
2: Yeah, well, I would not miss this conversation.
1: Yeah, this is one that kind of gets Jared and I, you know, because it's one that I encounter I, usually weekly, if not uh, often frequently, more frequently than that. Uh, Hilmi and Stephanie, thanks, you guys, for joining us. Um, yeah, it's it's one of those things because I, I, I regularly will be talking to colleagues or maybe it's online, maybe it's even in person, whatever, and... I hear somebody say well yeah you, you do the pain science thing Well, i'm, I'm kind of more on the manual therapy side and i'm just like oh no no i still like <laughs> you obviously haven't hung out with me in clinic because i still touch people i still exercise i still do all the things that i used to do i just don't use any of the bogus narratives and theories that the new science around pain has really shed some light on that maybe it isn't this whole mechanical phenomenon that we've portrayed it and unfortunately, still often portrayed it in schools. Of course, there are can be mechanical components. So you know, don't come at me with, you know, Mark's just throwing away everything and the baby's getting chucked out with the bathwater. That's another one I get thrown out at me regularly, which just irks, irks me. But before we get into depth, deep into that conversation, Andrew, thanks for joining us. Um, What's been your experience with the whole, hey, you do the pain science thing, Jared, and you must not do the other stuff? Uh, Has that been your experience as well?
2: Uh, that is very much my experience. I think that I have, you know, at this point, I have come to realize that I have been labeled a pain science guy, right? Like I'm just like, I have this label. I can't get away from it. People automatically make assumptions about whatever it is I think and do and how I treat in clinic because I'm a pain science guy. And like, yeah, you know, that, that pain stuff, you know, like I, I know you treat a lot of people with chronic pain because you do pain science. And I'm like, I don't, I don't do pain science. That's like saying I do biology to somebody, or right? you know, like I do physics to them. Like, yes, a- actually when they exercise, I, I do physics to people. Mm-hmm, yeah, no, it-, it just doesn't work like that. And I'm glad that we're having this conversation because hopefully this will get spread out to the masses and people will start to say, ah, pain science isn't an intervention necessarily. No, it it it, it permeates what we
1: do. It's science. It's knowledge of how we're under better understanding what we're up to and what's happening. Of course, we're never going to perfectly understand it, but each day we strive to be less wrong than the day before. And um, you know, as, yeah, it's the, the same experience I have uh, with it as well. As I just get, you get people who are just like you know looking at it as it lives on some island where patients get you know sat down and pain scienced where that's just a. Uh, it becomes a verb where you're doing it to somebody, and um, hopefully, we'll, and we will throughout the day t- or throughout this uh, discussion, not today, that's too long. But if we, we'll talk about how does this fit into everything you do, because it should, it should impermeate, because this is just new understandings. We have to look beyond, you know, just interrogating somebody's tissues with with you know a bunch of specific sp- supposed tissue identifying things. It's not that, again that you can't use that component, but then you have to understand that pain is much more. Complex than what's just happening at the tissue level, and that's where we're going to hopefully take a journey today with you around just the different interventions of what we do and uh, how we can kind of incorporate it into everything. So, how let Let's start at a patient encounter. Let's start at at the history because that's often, or and I hate to say history because that's that's or the patient interview. So you know, just to to get the story of the patient. How has pain science influenced your uh, patient interview skills, Jared. Because mine's changed massively. And I know yours has changed massively, but I, I don't think folks listening probably know how much it's changed. But how much has your your uh, patient interview changed as you've kind of understood pain a little bit more deeply?
2: Yeah, I would I would say, <clears throat> you know, when I was early on in, in my career uh, and when I viewed pain as something that came from the periphery went up to the brain and was a perfect cartesian representation of you know uh one a pain message traveling up to the brain and 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 telling the brain how many uh units of pain that a person was having you know my entire interview with the person was trying to figure out what tissue was sending all those pain messages to the brain uh why that specific tissue whether it be through uh overuse or injury or tissue degradation or poor posture or whatever it was what was causing that tissue to be dysfunctional and then how could i either take my hands or take some sort of modality or take some sort of specific corrective exercise to fix that tissue that's like that was what i thought i was on a mission figure out the the culprit, whatever tissue it was, and I was going to fix it. Uh, Now I would say I do a lot more listening. I have a lot more thoughtful discussion with a person. I recognize that pain isn't necessarily this thing that is just jettisoning jettisoning up from the knee through these pathways to the brain to let the person know what's going on in their knee exactly in a one-to-one relationship. And I, I understand that there are multiple factors that may uh, have led to that person's pain experience and may be currently influencing that person's pain experience. So I, I'm trying to get a lot more information about what's going on in their life in general. You know, What is their general health status? What is their uh, psychological status? What is it that they believe about the pain uh, that they're experiencing? What is it that they think is going on with their body? Um, You know, all of a lot of little nuances. I'm gonna ask about their sleep a lot more because I know that that plays a role. I'm going to ask about their relationship with movement and and their history with movement and how does that play a role. I'm gonna ask about what they've been told about their body and what is it that they believe about their body. So I'm asking a lot more questions about what they think. I'm trying to get qualitative uh, information from them. I'm trying to understand uh, their entire story, right? And I know that you you have a quote that you love from John Larner that is, you know, uh, about the the patient's life being a a movie and that we're just playing one small role in one specific scene when we interact with them.
1: Yeah. So yeah. You, you,
2: can, you can drop that quote on us because I don't remember yeah. how it
1: goes. Now you put me on a spot, dude. I got to call it. And you know, this memory is just clouded with, you know, uh, different things. But yeah, it's basically you're seeing the patient in one frame of a massive move or a, a long movie with a massive cast, and you're only seeing them in that little snippet. And I think. You you pointed out exactly how it, mine was like. I need to identify, man, and I need to like sharpen these things to like Jedi level where I get knighted by the manual therapy, uh, you know, gurus to tell me that I have qualified to be able to feel pain with my fingers in those tissues because it never made sense or I just never felt. I felt like well, I suck at this whole physical therapy thing because I can't feel the pain in the tissues. I can't identify it the way that. And now it you know, it was kind of a massive like, oh, that's why when I started understanding that, you know, gosh, there's a lot more going on in this experience than, than just what's happening in the tissues. Of course, we respect the tissues. We still do a lot of the interview things that you learn in PT school, like your eggs eases and different things. We're identifying possible sources, but we're bringing the person who's experiencing it into the equation. It doesn't become this paternalistic dictatorial I'm finding your pain, this is what it is, and this is what you do. This is like, well, how's your experience been with this? What are your beliefs around it? What do you think's going on? What do you think's going to help you? Do you think I'm going to help you? Do you think that physical therapy is a good spot for you to get better? Yeah, and like Jared said, you you just dig into the story of the person, and it's uh, it's sleep. Um, you know, if, if some people start identifying, you know, depression and different things around uh, what's been going on, you, you you validate, man, that sounds like it's been a really tough journey for you with this thing that you've been dealing with. I can't imagine that. Um, and then you you start trying to form a that shared narrative that we talk about that Matt Lowe and a lot of the other folks that uh, you know talk about it uh, J- John Quintner, the third space, all those things and uh, you try to find a a narrative that makes sense with some of the you know concepts that we 've learned in in p t school and different things, but also understanding the the human experience of pain and recognize that it 's much more than what message is traveling up from your tissue and if you can understand some of the factors the contributing factors that we um, have kind of somewhat identified then and it's often in the story of the person so setting up your history to in your patient interview to actually take time to deliberately and uh, curiously know what makes that patient tick and what's behind everything that they ideally as much as we can know behind what's going on in their in their life and in their situation around this experience that they're having but uh, and it's a lot more shut up and listen versus like you know and that's always a hard thing for me in my past as far as I tend to drone but yeah a lot more listening like Jared said and and uh, getting to know the person in front of you and and their unique perspective because not of all persons are going to fit your narrative of how you think that you know I've had a biased manual therapy nerve in my training and that not every patient fits that nor wants it nor may that be the best ticket to get them there are you and being flexible that Maybe it should be the patient's preferred way of getting there, provided, of course, it's not too off the beaten path and not too, uh, you know, driving them away from valid goals or, or locking them into passive care or different things. But um, being make it about the patient and not about us. And that, uh, you know, seems like it should be just, you know, common sense. But. It, it is hard uh, just because we're taught to really, you know, and it almost, we take the pressure of it. Our value is dictated on us identifying it and fixing it. And I think that's just not the right way to go about it. Our identity should be getting alongside somebody, being their partner to start finding ways to get back to valued living and, and using the interventions we have at our, at our disposal to, to help them get there and hopefully put them at this, in the driver's seat, be the old Alfred to their Batman and uh, let it roll forward. So that's pretty much how I think, Jared and I. And again, Jared and I share similar views. Hence, why we're to hang out together and we we partner together with this modern pain care thing. But um, we do feel it's probably one of the more. Yeah, there you go. Throw the swag out there. We gotta. We'll have to have a little t-shirt release again. But um, so let's let's travel past the patient interview because we've talked about the patient interview. Let's talk about um, getting into like one concept that I don't think folks know too well is like the con- contextual architecture or contextual engineering. And this is Corey Blickenstaff. Uh, If you haven't got to know any of Corey Blickenstaff's work, you guys should check it out. He's one of the top thinkers out there. Corey's one of the more humble dudes out there as well. So he would never say this, but honestly, probably one of the better conversations you'll have around around pain and philosophy and a lot of different topics. So um, how do you kind of think about, because that's something I never thought about. I was like, yep, let's just get you in a room and let's get this thing going so I can find it and fix it and you're on your way but uh, I never really thought of the context of what's going on what's what's been your thoughts around context and how's that evolved or in your uh, understanding so far Jared
2: yeah well like you mentioned there have been two people that have heavily 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 influenced my uh thoughts and you know my reading of the research and stuff like that on on uh context and that is like you mentioned Corey Blickenstaff who Uh, you know, he does his, uh, podcast with Sandy Hilton, right? Pain science and sensibility. So that's a great podcast that you guys should check out. They have some brilliant people on there, uh, but also Fabrizio Benedetti and, uh, Fabrizio Benedetti is probably, I I mean, I would venture to say maybe the, the leading researcher on the placebo effect, uh, in the world. He has written a book called, you know, like the patient's brain, I believe. Uh, and he's a, he's an Italian Uh, researcher who studies the placebo effect. And I started reading a tremendous amount of Fabrizio Benedetti's research that really showed uh, that what the placebo effect is. And and before I just thought, well, the placebo effect is this thing that when people think that they're going to get better, that they get better right? Like if, if you expect to get better, you get better. And like these magical healing properties or these magical healing things just come out of nowhere. And these little healing fairies, placebo fairies, just like fix whatever problem you have going on. That was my like original understanding uh, in a nutshell of the placebo effect. But once you start reading about it, what you find out is that the placebo effect is really what's called meaning response, right? And the placebo effect encompasses uh, all sorts of factors like um, natural history. It encompasses regression to the mean. It encompasses things like the Hawthorne effect or the Simpsons paradox. These are, you know, different things that occur in research studies that may influence the degree to which a person shows improvement, right? And when we're in the clinic, we don't we don't have the ability to control for all that. So it's even more dynamic when we're in the clinic. There's more factors influencing what that patient comes to feel and experience, and also the contextual effect. Um, it, it encompasses. Uh, what do you bring to the table as the clinician? What's the patient's perception of you? What what is the patient's perception of the intervention that you're using? What is their expectation that they're going to get better? What is all of these, uh, non-specific specific factors, right? That go into this effect that helps people get better. So part of every single effect is placebo, no matter what you do, if you have the most effective medication in the world. Part of the response that you see from that is placebo or meaning response, which goes into the whole contextual effect environment. And man, I feel like I'm giving a lecture right now because I'm going too deep into this uh, because I have a whole <clears throat> I have a whole section uh, on the contextual effect and contextual architecture in our complete clinician course. So I, I love talking about this. I can talk about it for days. Um, so... You're looking at that contextual effect and there's research to say that what you look like affects outcomes, how you talk to people affects outcomes, how you mark you want to go ahead and pull up like a definition of the Simpsons paradox for Stephanie, I I will do so. So what you look like, how you talk to somebody, what your clinic feels like, what the patient's expectation is uh, of your treatment, like what they've heard about you as a provider, what they've heard about your company, what they think about the intervention it is that they're coming to you for, like what you supply, right? You're a physio, so they expect X, Y, and Z from you, or you're a chiropractor, they expect X, Y, and Z from you. All of this, of your confidence with your specific intervention and your, your narrative that you give somebody, all of this stuff, freaking affects outcomes. Like you look at the you look at the placebo research and the color of the pill, the size of the pill, whether it's a liquid gel or a tablet, whether it's a a pill or an injection, whether it's an injection or a surgery. All of these things are actually in a hierarchy, of a hierarchy or whatever that word is of uh, more influence and more meaning to the person and all of these things influence the outcome so if you you're not very humble i don't think if you can sit there and say well that thing that i did and the way that i did it with my specific skills is the sole reason that that person got better uh for me that that's just not taking into account all the other factors that could be influencing that patient and all the other things that are going on with you, your clinic, your environment, the patient's environment outside, uh, the patient's environment in their home, all of their expectations. You're just completely ignoring everything and and zeroing in on that one little thing that it is that you did and saying that that was the effect. Now, you probably had some effect, but we probably need to be a little bit more humble and recognize that there's all of these other things that play a role as well that you have the power to influence
1: yeah you know i think it's just understanding those things that the supporting cast of your interventions i always when i have students in the clinic because i have had students ask me this and in trainees when we're when we're doing some of our con ed work like i feel like i can do the technique i just don't get the same results as like my mentor or the you know the experienced clinician problem is is the experienced clinician it's not a problem i guess i should say but you know what the difference often is is those clinicians who are experienced have kind of con- learned implicitly and maybe not they won't even recognize they do this because i think a lot of it's just you know expertise and skill development where they've learned to set up the context in their interventions to explain it in a way that just gets a patient ready to just respond to the intervention or they're supremely confident oops in front of the patient they they have those ways of setting the stage for their interventions um to maximize success, I, the, the best mentors are humble, like Jared said, and can you know I, I've uh, Tim Farron's a, a friend and colleague and mentor uh, here in Phoenix, and he's mentioned a few times, which I greatly respected for, is like he gets sent a lot of the tough cases from other therapists, and um, he gets propped up to be and it, like an expert, which he should be. He's earned that title. He's put in a boatload of work and does some amazing stuff. Um, but he's even said, like, I, sometimes a lot of the outcome is there before I even get in the room because the patient's, like, you know, just really primed up and expecting. Not saying that obviously there isn't a bunch of skill and, and expertise in what Tim's doing. It's just that that part of things is always present there. And I think the more you understand what context have you created in your clinic, and that's where I also get, st- uh, you know, students in early uh, year or early graduates uh, or earlier career uh, PTs and other practitioners will say, you know, I work in this clinic where everybody does this intervention and I'm trying to do this and it's really hard. Well, the context, your clinic that's created with your marketing and what you sell to patients is really going to dictate what often your environment people are going to respond to. So, um, you know, it's it's tough. You know, you just got to understand what context you create and try to fit in that context uh, as best as you can. But having a conscious, explicit understanding of, well, what are those factors? Jared nicely pointed out a lot of things that, you know, can go into somebody's response and be okay that the placebo effect isn't some sort of bad thing. It's a thing that if you understand it and you can use it morally, ethically, then roll with it. You know, create context where patients have positive expectations to to move better. It's our words. It's how we dress. It's a lot of different things that I think we take for granted. That um, you know, I was. One of my pet peeves is like when folks come to clinic looking like they just woke up from like a late night out trivia and, and or things like that. You didn't do that today, Jared, but um, yeah. but yeah, just like don't come in expecting to be respected as a doctor of physical therapy and then look like a scrub. It ain't happening. And don't you can't have it both ways. You know, if you want to be respected as somebody, then act the part. You know, that's just what you got to do. But on the flip side, I think there's a lot of just hey, you know, you got to be a real person to that patient too, and not be like this stiff. Well, I'm the doctor, and you're the patient, and you know, you're I'm here, and you're there. You got to get. Hey, how's it going today? You know what? You how's how's your day been going so far? You know what? You know what do you think you want to accomplish today? I, you know, I'm I got some ideas, but I want to know what you want to do today. I'm 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 not here just to dictate to you. So, um, but yeah, I think the more you can put folks on that level and, and set up a context of hey, this is me and him side by side, not him here, me here, and then it just becomes spouting things that don't relate to, to my story, I think you can, you know, move things forward in a more fruitful manner. So we've got past the context and the the interview. So let's talk about, and we can, let's go with uh, exercise. Cause that's obviously a common one. Then we'll maybe wrap it up with manual therapy today. But um, and Simpsons Paradox, uh, Stephanie, if you, you see, I, we put that Wikipedia up there. So hopefully that kind of clears it up for you. And because um, we don't want to get into the weeds of a lot of this philosophical. Not that we can't, but we, we want to keep things on on topic. But hopefully that gives you some, uh, you know, di- direction in that. But um, so exercise. Uh, you know, there's been the past narratives of exercise of you know instability, and we're stabilizing. I know I was taught like, and that's been a tough one. Like as I've navigated being uh, you know uh, on the academic side and clinical instructing side in our university. It's a delicate topic because we still teach it because CAPTI requires us to teach it. Yet in clinic, I don't demonstrate it a, a lot just because it's obviously not been proven to be what it's been proposed to be. And for some patients, it, if anything, could be harmful to their, you know, movement skills when you lock them in movement jail, this belief of instability. But um, what's been your kind of evolution with exercise and how it's uh, kind of changed as your understanding of pain and and pain science has really you know taken off a bit
2: oh man you know um i would say that the biggest change is the fact that i don't feel put in a box anymore uh before i i probably wanted to be in my box i liked the black and white uh because i you know my my training my education was very much about corrective exercise uh the mantra was if something is stiff, make it move. If something is unstable, uh, stiffen it up. If something is weak, strengthen it. If something is tight, loose, stretch it. Like that. Like it was called the treat what you find approach, right? So it's it is one thousand percent biomechanical. That's it. If you only treat what you find, that's that's biomechanics 101. on one, and that was my mindset. That was what I learned, and that was also the box that I was in. Uh, if somebody, you know, for instance, um, slouched. And, uh, you know, they had this old slouchy posture. I was like, man, your neck pain or your back pain, your back pain is because you slouch. But then when they sit up, they're like, oh, shit, that hurts even more. But I was like, but no, it's your posture. It's your posture. You know, your, your back pain hurts because you're slouching forward. And I never thought maybe they're slouching forward because that's the most comfortable and livable position for them. And I just couldn't wrap my head around that because lumbar flexion and slouchy posture was bad, 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 bad. So I had to fix that. I had to make their posture better, even though trying to make their posture better in my mind and them, oftentimes that was that person's perception too. Oh, I need you. I just need to sit up straight more. I just need to have better posture. So, But it hurts it it makes your symptoms worse to do that but i couldn't get past that mindset to say you know what i don't need to be in this box let's actually truly look at what aggravates and eases your symptoms and let's go let's roll with that if it's if it's like pulling your neck back and looking to the right like and that makes you feel better let's do that if it's looking down and over you know hey let's do that too i'm not worried about what your posture is i'm worried about how you can find relief and how you can introduce movement to your body in a way that uh, helps you get that going. Right. Or, um, you know, automatically if somebody had a knee pain, right. And they squat and their, their knees go into valgus. Uh, I would be like, you, you, you have to fix that knee pain. You need to push your, you need to push your knees way out when you do that but then they have more pain when they try to drive their knees out when they squat They're like no you got to keep your toes perfectly straight i know you've got all that terrible pinching in the front of your hip but you have to squat toes dead straight right because i was the kelly star at disciple as well i I got myself a leopard when i was in pt school and like that was the bible even though it's fucking four like four thousand pages without a single reference or anything it's just like the, the the world according to kelly um, so like I like everybody had to have those toes straight forward. Doesn't matter if your acetabuli are on like the freaking back of your pelvis and that you have all this <laughs> like you know different structure of your hips. Oh. You gotta you gotta squat this way, dude. No 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 way about it. You carry your phone like this to make sure that you don't create this reversal of your cervical lordosis because that's just gonna destroy your neck, right? So I was in that mindset that I could not break out of. The way to fix people. Was to bring them back to whatever like the, uh, the the general consensus of perfect mechanics and perfect posture was, and, and everybody had to fit into that. And even if it hurt to get there, you got to get there, and it'll it'll get better once you get used to being there, right? So it was just I, I was in a box, man. And now I can look at people, and I can look at things, and I can look at movement and, and, and posture and, and, and stuff like that. And see how it may be relevant, but not be in the box if it has to be some predetermined way.
1: Yeah, a lot of those rule books we learn in PT school and and other, uh, you know, graduate trainings, whether you're chiropractor or osteopath, I'm sure they could probably, those in other professions, I can't comment, of course, but would probably discuss some of the things they learned that black and white of boxing of, well, the Yonda Upper cross, lower cross syndrome, that's been kind of really questioned on. But it's a rule like, man, you got to have weak glutes and abs. That's just the way Yonda said it would be. And that's just what I'm going to find. Or that uh, way the Q angle is. Oh my God, that's dude, yet, Q angle doesn't change yet. Outcomes get better. Damn, what's happening there? Just a lot of that stuff, black and white. And then again, it, being flexible, that, man, pain is much more than a mechanical phenomenon. When it becomes a tunnel vision of mechanics, then yeah, you're going to stress, and, uh, and it could possibly be affected by mechanics. We're not saying it doesn't, and there are times where I tweak some things to reduce some of the ephemeral adduction internal rotation and it changes their knee pain but I'm not stressing like oh oh my god like you need to like oh my you have this angle that is you're setting you up for just a terrible ex- existence with your knee going forward so yeah this we, we found some ways to help you move a little differently that's changing how your knee feels let's work with that some more and then you know what eventually we're going to train you to to be able to work within that Q angle because we ain't changing it so um yeah there's just a lot of things that have changed and hopefully you know you just got to be able to take on some of these truths in biomechanics and arthrokinetics and recognize there is no truth there's like hey that's our best understanding right now but I'm I'm okay if that's wrong and I'm not going to like hitch my wagons to it so heavily to the point that I can't unhitch it when my patient's presentation says hey it ain't happening it ain't working if anything sometimes like Jared said you do some of these forcing them into these rules they get worse then again and you you honestly think like god why wouldn't i go away from that but we get so you know into that safety net of these rules because it helps us in this gray area that the clinic is and it just gives us some some semblance of like understanding and knowing and but that's where being able to function in the gray is what you have to be able to do and be able to weave in on maybe some of those rules apply to these patients and help their situation maybe it moves them in the opposite set but are you going to be able to weave and move and make it be about your patient not about the black and white stuff that we get taught in physio school and chiro school and and different things so but that's what being you know a clinician versus a student is all about it's being able to take academic knowledge and like apply to a real human and recognize that it isn't as neat and tidy as it gets taught in academics and that's okay nothing wrong with academics that part of it needs to happen it's just you know be flexible with it and don't be rigid and dogmatic with it which you're probably speaking to two dudes I hope as you've heard today that God's are have had our history of being super dogmatic and you know make a conscious effort these days to be open to being wrong on a regular basis and being open to being wrong for the good of our patients because that's who it's about not us and us being right um, of course we want to portray having some understanding of what we're doing to our patients but being okay that, hey, this approach ain't working for you, I'm going to move off it. Even if I've gotten certified in it and I wear letters around it and I have polos and jackets, I know I get on this rant regularly, but that, I, it's, that I'm that i so identified with it. Are you willing to put the take the polo off, take the letters and be, okay, you know, I did pay a lot of money or have gotten certified in this, but maybe it's not the right approach for that person. Um, but again, that's, that's getting into We'll get it. We'll get we'll get won't get too far into that discussion because that, as you know, that gets my blood pressure. You see my face get red, it's not pretty, but anyway. Um, let me see. I think we got a question here from Vance. Let me send that up to the screen here, and then we'll. Any opinions on further implementing pain science and PTs in the emergency department? Um, I think that's a great place to get patients engaged in understanding pain better uh because your best way to treat chronic pain is to treat it well acutely so it doesn't ideally move towards that chronic pain phase and what better place to do that than the emergency department um uh we got carlene jagota i sorry carlene if i butchered your name i apologize over here in tucson who does it uh here um i'm blanking uh utah gentleman good friend and i can't think of names right now uh he was on our talk this past with uh, Tim Beams. Jared, help me out. Oh, Keith. Keith. Is Keith? Keith Roper. He's doing it in Utah. Yeah. He's he's intervenes with um, folks in the uh, emergency department there. So I think it's a huge opportunity. I think if you can approach health systems and see that, show that downstream, these people are navigating their situation a lot more effectively. Um, I, I get patients regularly who go through, you know, rehab where they're, monthly stop at the ed with the pain crisis um goes away and that's a lot friendlier thing to the system The ed unfortunately is not really a great place to get pain treated well as far as from a good thorough understanding so any pts or, or other folks who are in there that are helping people better conceptualize and navigate it and um get back to their life i think is a good situation what are your thoughts jared
2: i mean i think that i want to rewind just a little bit and and again just like Make the statement that if a person is experiencing pain, they are a pain science person. They are a pain science patient, right? Uh, you, there, there's this dichotomization of well, you know, when is this person appropriate for pain science? Like, if they're having pain, period, period. Pain science, the science of pain, applies if somebody is experiencing pain. And that so,
1: so you're saying you, if somebody's in pain, you should understand it. Is what you're saying? This you, you should understand what goes into that experience.
2: I'm saying we should do our damnedest to understand what that experience is. Uh, I don't know that we'll ever like fully understand it, right? Probably yeah. not. <laughs> but uh, yeah, 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 like it. it if they've been in pain for 57 years, or if they, you you just stub your toe, you're having pain. You're a pain science patient, man. The, 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 something is going on that is creating your experience of pain, and that can be heavily nociceptive driven, right? I just stub my toe, and I created a ton of nociception. Uh, but that can also be about peripheral sensitivity, right, or, or central sensitivity. If I have CRPS and I stub my toe, that's a totally different experience than if I don't have CRPS and I stub my toe, right? Uh, it could be going on at the spinal cord it could be going on at the brain it could be going on at you know like the periaqueductal gray matter or rostral medial medulla like oh blah, blah 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 it could be neuro right but it could also be immune like what's going on with my immune system How, do i have rheumatoid arthritis and my my whole body is a little bit more inflammatory which that infl- inflammation is lowering the activation threshold for peripheral sen- uh you know sensors and, and and all that sort of stuff and or do I have these crazy expectations that, not crazy, but do I have these expectations that aren't in line with reality about what pain is? And then when I come to experience that pain, I, uh, you know, really hyper-focus on that a lot, or I think that it means something that it's not, right? So if somebody, uh, there's a there's data that tons of people go to the emergency department for non-emergency pain, but to them right? That's our perspective that this is non-emergency pain. But for them, that is emergency pain because guess what? They're at the emergency room. So to them, it's emergency pain. Uh, and we, we need to understand what might be bringing them to, to do that. Like, what, what's their situation at home? What do they believe about their body? What, what does their imaging say or not say? Like, what's their experience with coming to the emergency room? Like, there's so much that goes into that. And yeah, absolutely, like you may have a phenomenal ability to put out a fire before it gets to be a massive blaze if you appropriately intervene at the acute level with somebody in the emergency room, right? If, if I hurt my back deadlifting and I think that my vertebrae just shattered and my disc shot across the room and like what I'm experiencing makes sense with that because I'm, I'm like, got you know quote unquote back spasms going on and I'm I'm locked up and I can't move and it's the worst pain ever like I might want to go to the emergency room because I'm like holy crap I could get paralyzed but you know, you might be like, oh, no, you know, your imaging is good. You don't have a disc that's shooting out of your back. I think that you just, you know, I know that this is crazy painful, but we also know that what w- with what you're presenting with, this is very likely going to get a ton better within the next couple of weeks. Here's some gentle things that you can do to start right now, and here's a referral to an outpatient physical therapist to continue working on this. I know that this is scary. I know that this is terrible. I know that this is the worst thing that you've ever felt, uh, but you're actually, from what I'm seeing, you're you're going to be okay with this and, and and it's going to get better like maybe just hearing that and not getting an opioid prescription right off the bat and you know having confidence that there is a light at the end of the tunnel that's totally different than oh well here's your opioids and here's a referral to uh you know a spine surgeon um and i want you to go there immediately and have you know, complex back surgery right off the bat, right? You could totally change the trajectory of somebody's uh, course of care.
1: No, absolutely. I think it's a great place for for folks to get involved um, and really offer some conservative person-centered care. Sometimes the ED is not a good place for person-centered care. It kind of gets you moving through, and, you know, I've got patients right now who've had some really un- not very f- enjoyable uh, interactions with the emergency department because, you know, unfortunately some of those folks, I'm doing some great work there in the emergency department, but, you know, with a lack of understanding of pain and some of the distress people are in and validating it, um, there's not a lot of validation, at least with a lot of patients that I've seen that come through with these regular ED visits that, um, and that's where we talk to them. We have discussions with patients. This is kind of what happens in the ED. They're looking to try to find if there's something you know, seriously wrong. Thankfully, they didn't find anything, but that that doesn't make it any easier for you who's dealing with a lot of this pain. So let's talk about, you know, some other things that can, you know, be involved in this situation and see if we can get you, you know, to capitalize on what your body's designed to do, which is heal. Um, Just let's not, I think our medical system often puts the brakes on natural history by getting the fear of God and people, imaging and scaring them about imaging, or you know, getting them completely out of life um, because of some of the recommendations and things that folks have. So yeah, uh, to put that uh, question, which we of course went off on, but uh, that hopefully gives you a good idea where we uh, view the ED. I think it's a great place, great setting for physical therapists to, to uh, interact and to see if we can chart the, a co- different course for some of the people who are in some pretty distressing situations. Now, lastly, I wanted to uh, talk about my favorite topic, which is manual therapy, because uh, I know there's discussions here about Maitland and Syriacs and and different things. Now, I I do think there's some benefits of some of those concepts. So, you know, uh, Maitland actually was pretty good ahead of the time on the patient histories uh, and patient interview as far as understanding that that played a role. Probably was still a little bit more delved in the tissues because that's all we understood at that time of the pain experience. So, nothing wrong with Maitland having that thought. It's just with the information he yeah, had at that time, that was his theories. Thankfully, as the information has gone, we haven't, we've, you know, put that edition of the textbook aside, taken some of the things that might be in that textbook that are helpful and, you know, moved beyond it, not just got stuck in it. And same thing with any McKenzie or or Syriacs or whatever. I mean, there's some, probably some helpful concepts in it. Definitely ones that you scratch your head like, yeah, maybe not based on what we now know. But again, that's a healthy, that's a healthy profession that's moving forward and not getting buried into any, letters after the name or anything like that. So with manual therapy, again, it's it's uh, this is one of the bigger ones where you're either a manual therapist or you're a pain scientist. I think that's ridiculous. I think you if you're not a pain if you don't understand pain while you're applying manual therapy, then you just roll out narratives of fixing, realigning, releasing, uh, doing all the things that we know aren't happening. And what it becomes is we own our paternalistic dictatorial style becomes the owner of the patient's symptom change. And that, to me that's the worst and you're, this is a recovered owner of a patient's symptom changes because I, I and I honestly, this isn't to sound to you, is we got to stop getting excited. The fact that we can change somebody's pain within session with a crack or a mobe or a scrape of tissue or poking it with a needle, whatever your favorite intervention is. Not to say you can't use it, but stop getting excited about it. That's secondary to the big picture of how do you get the patient to get off that plinth and do things in their life that are meaningful to them because people do not live life... On plinths, they live life in their environment, and that's where the harder work is to get them to move well in their environment. Which I don't, and I'm happy to hear other opinions on this. It ain't happening on a plinth. So if your centerpiece is how much you're going to train these things to to change pain, I think it's just not the right direction. I just that's my belief that I think our profession needs to move past this as being the, the expertise. It's this and more this. Of being able to listen to people and understand that god maybe these things need to go away and maybe I need to just get out of the way and let people start getting back to life and then giving them strategies to get back to life with movement and things if maybe some of those interventions passively can help them get there with a good narrative on board that doesn't have me owning their symptom change boom let's roll with it but it shouldn't be something that I'm just itching because my my treatment threshold for manual therapy pulse pain you get manual therapy. That's just what happened. That was about all I used for clinical decision making. So, and it's just when you apply it, you know. And I'm sorry, Jerry, I'm just hogging this one, but um, the big thing is when you apply it. Don't talk about we're fixing structure. I am changing some of the sensitivity around your tissues. I don't use pain with manual therapy. I'm, I say hey, I'm going to be applying this passive movement to your back, and whether it be high speed or low speed, depending. And uh, we're going to be just looking to change the sensitivity of your back. What we know is with these interventions, we can often change some of the sensitivity of how sensitive your back is to movement. We can help you re- reduce some of that feeling of stiffness and tension that you have, which again, if you re- read Tasha Stanton's work, that'll blow your mind on what that truly is. But, um, And we're going to help you move better. But the big thing is th- I don't really get too excited of how well you move in these four walls. I want to make sure you move well in those four walls where it's meaningful for to you. You told me you want to get back to X, Y, and Z. So let's really focus on making sure that, those movements are really be, happening well. So I'm going to teach you some things that hopefully this can support you there. But this is just <clears throat> a supporting thing to the real important thing, which is you moving well outside of there. And I think if, outside of here, the, this treatment clinic, these four walls where it's easy to make change in people's pain in a short-term level. I'm, again, it, that's not to sound egotistical. That's just what science tells us. There's a myriad of ways, and I don't think there's any that have been proven to be superior to any others of changing somebody's pain. Um, usually it's going to be whichever one the clinic clinician lacks equipoise on, but that's another discussion. But yeah, let's just get the patient off the plinth and get them moving in life because that's what matters to them. But again, if you make it about being the guru and the Jedi that I did for about eight years of my career, then you miss the boat on a lot of that. And I still remember having mentors who are highly, one of the more highly respected manual therapists in the country, if not, you know, respected around the world with clinicians. I remember doing mentorship hours and I'd see the same people who I was really in fellowship and things to change, not do well in the, in the clinic with that approach where I have to, my, my whole thing is how do I determine my manual therapy entry point to that patient's life? And the, to me, the best thing with pain science told me is when that entry point and ownership of their symptom change needs to not happen because it just, if anything, and it needs to be listening to a patient more than just tissue behaviors. It needs to be life type stuff and what what their beliefs are what their valued goals are and all these different things laura laura rathbone vamures thanks for joining us today uh, always good to have you aboard now laura if you guys get a chance she's got a full act class which it should be full because this is an opportunity you guys all should be taking advantage of but you need to check her stuff out she's uh one of the top physios that are really incorpor- incorporating acceptance commitment therapy uh, concept she does it as good as anybody her and Brownie are two uh, you know of our pillars that i would say within the rehab world um, but you need to check out her, her website and uh, check out that because that is, again, exactly what we're talking about, incorporating those type of things into treatment. So um, with that said, Jared, I know we have to wrap up today because you've got you to get on with your uh, day and you have some th- uh, things to go on. Any parting shots before we finish off for people?
2: No, you know, I was just going to disagree with you and say I would rather be a doctor of symptom modification. That's what I want to do. I'm just, I'm just going to hang my hat on symptom modification. No, uh, in in all seriousness, you know, I really, I really appreciate the fact that you, you bring that in because you can, you can, uh, speak from a place of experience having, having gone through very extensive manual therapy based training. And, um, I I think that that's probably something that a lot of people can resonate with, uh, that. You know, we we we've spent a lot of time, money, and effort, blood, sweat, and tears, etc. There's a lot of sunken cost in some of those narratives, and they're they're uh, really hard to let go of. But the weight off of your shoulders and the amount of baggage that you can let go of, if you if you back away from having to have those narratives and free yourself up to not be constricted by those narratives, uh, it, it really opens up a lot of other treatment opportunities and it opens up new discussions that you can have with people It opens up new directions that you can go with treatment and new, new, um, concepts that you can implement when you're not restricted by those very specific narratives. I mean, but, uh, you're going to say something more? No, no, I was just, I'm going to add on once you're done. No, I was just going to say, you know, um, this whole, this whole, Episode. This whole podcast. Uh, this whole talk was about pain science, and you know we we feel so strongly about this regular misunderstanding of the concept of pain science that we literally created a twenty-something hour course about it. About how do you integrate the concepts of pain science, or how do you in- implement the most up-to-date understanding of pain into your subjective interview, into your manual therapy, into your con contextual architecture into your exercise selection? How do you bring in components of sleep? How do you uh, think about uh, terms like acceptance and and that sort of thing? How do you navigate through an entire patient encounter um, while doing the things that you have been well trained to do and that you're highly skilled at, along with an an improved and updated understanding of the human pain experience? And that's complete
1: clinician course yes as you guys can see we put it up there on the screen if you guys anybody's interested in going that way as Jared had said nicely that this is a passion project for both of us as far as the frustrations that hopefully you've understood as we've talked today this course is to address those to understand that you need to understand how you incorporate this into everything you do in the clinic and it doesn't live on an island and you need to understand how to do it skillfully and that's what we did when we designed this course but Hopefully you guys got some belly out of today. Uh, Any questions or anything, feel free to reach out to Jared or I. Uh, We're going to leave you with that today. Hope you've enjoyed it um, and have a good rest of your week. We'll talk to you next week.
0: This has been another episode of the Modern Pain Podcast with Dr. Mark Karjula. Join us next time as we continue our journey to help change the story around pain. For more information on the show, visit modernpaincare.com. Also, visit the Pain Masterminds Network on Facebook for free education and resources. This podcast is for educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. Please consult a licensed professional for your specific medical needs. Changing the story around pain. This. This is the Modern Pain Podcast.